Hello and welcome to The X-Ray. I'm Fernando Espuelas in Washington. Before we get started, a programming note. This is my last episode as host. I have accepted the CEO position at a fintech company. If you're a longtime listener of my various shows, you know that I have an unusual background for a media guy. I've been the CEO of many companies and projects, so this opportunity feels really right at this time. I'm excited to democratize access to capital for millions of people. It's going to be a great adventure. Issue One will take a pause on its podcast, but be on the lookout for whatever they develop next. This week, I explore a really wrenching story. Carson Bride lost his life after a campaign of vicious social media bullying. He was a promising 16-year-old with a lifetime of hope and dreams ahead. This is the powerful story of how social media has morphed into a mortal danger for kids. It's also the story of how the very powerful social media companies refuse to take responsibility for the platforms they have created, profit machines that threaten the mental health of millions of young people. Incredibly addictive, the business model of these platforms is to engage regardless of the anguish they cause. Carson's mom, Kristen Bride, is now an advocate for reforming the laws that shield these companies, laws that assure their profits at the unbearable cost of human lives. Kristen has been fighting these companies since Carson's tragic death. She is a member of the Council for Responsible Social Media. Here's my conversation with Kristen Bride. Kristen Bride, welcome to The X-Ray. Thank you so much for having me, Fernando. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you today. I want to start with probably the hardest part of this conversation. Can you tell me about Carson, your son, and what happened? Yes. Um, Tragically, we lost our 16-year-old son, Carson, to suicide after he was cyberbullied in June 2020. He was a social kid. He wanted to be accepted, a beautiful smile, uh, loved to be social, and we miss him so much. And just to give you some background, we were the cautious parents with technology. He was in a class with kids who were getting iPhones in fourth grade, and we waited until he was in eighth grade to give him his first phone. It was a very old iPhone with no apps, and we had really hoped that it could stay that way. But deep inside, we were worried that it wasn't going to. And when he went to high school, Snapchat was the way that the kids were connecting. They weren't exchanging phone numbers or texting. They were using Snapchat. And so we gave in and let him have his first app. But what we didn't know is that Snapchat had allowed anonymous app companies on the back end of their platform. So after Carson ended his life, we found that he had received hundreds of harassing, humiliating, and threatening messages from his Snapchat friends who were his high school classmates. And they were using anonymous apps to hide their identities. The last search on Carson's phone before he ended his life was for hacks to find out who was tormenting him. Mm. And he never found out. And he died helpless, hopeless, and Uh, humiliated. I'm so sorry. It's just such a terrible story. And yet, as and I've I've heard many of your interviews and and, uh, speeches and read your op-eds, unfortunately, 
it's a common experience in this country, perhaps not to Carson's outcome, but certainly hundreds of thousands of kids, maybe millions of kids are going through the, a similar experience. What's going on? Is this a, a product design flaw? Is this uh, something that's being done on purpose by the social media companies in order to engage young kids and make money off of them? What do you think is the, the root cause of this? Well, I, I think that the nature of social media in and of itself it takes the person out of the equation. People are more likely to send something over social media that they wouldn't say sure. when they're looking them in the face. Mm -hmm. And they're also not able to read the hurt on their right. face. You know, this, this is what makes us human. And as far as the anonymous apps, I think that this is very much intentional because the design of the product itself is to create drama. And they know that when these products that are anonymous are marketed to teens, it leads to cyberbullying because there's no accountability at all. There's no one to even address the message from where mm -hmm. it's coming from. And so it leads to really poor decisions, especially teens who right. are impulsive, vulnerable, lack. Whose brains are unformed. Right, yeah. right. And so the more drama online, the longer mm -hmm. kids are online, and the more these companies are collecting data and then selling it for profit to advertisers. So I think it's a very intentional business model. Mm -hmm. And as far as anonymous apps, for the last 10 years, anonymous apps have been on the market and they have historically always led to cyberbullying. And then a teen ends their life and then they shut down and another one enters the market with the same results. And it's just the definition of insanity. So after I learned through Carson's school community that he was cyberbullied over an app called YOLO, it stands for you only live once. I had never heard of it. I researched the company and found that they actually had policies that stated that they would monitor for cyberbullying and reveal the names of those who do so and ban them from the app. I was fearful that these kids would continue to do this to Carson or not to Carson, but to other kids. Right. And um, so when I reached out to the company four times, I asked them to follow their own policies and reveal the names of Carson Cyberbullies. They just had an email that you could send. I was ignored all four times with the exception of one canned response stating that they were thanking me for my email and telling me to have a great day, mm. which was heartbreaking yeah. after what we had just gone through. And so it was really at this point that I realized I needed to go public with Carson's story, and I needed to get a response from these companies. And I filed a national class action lawsuit against Snap Inc. and YOLO. And after this happened, Snap suspended the anonymous apps used to bully Carson and changed their policies to exclude any anonymous apps in the future because they stated they could not mitigate the harms of anonymous apps at acceptable levels. And you would think, great news. It was great news. The two apps that were used to really lead my son to a state where he felt like he could no longer go on, could no longer harm other kids. But very quickly, a new anonymous app came on the market, NGL stands for not gonna lie. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And they found a further way to monetize their product by charging teens useless hints regarding who is sending them the messages. Like oh, that's psychotic. That's really yeah, psychotic. Right. So can you imagine being a, mm-hmm. a teen and you're desperate to find out who is sending you harassing messages and yeah. you're told you may be able to ride your bike to their house? So it's really concerning. And this happens in an industry like social media that goes completely unchecked. And that is why I'm advocating with other parents for passing the Kids Online Safety Act in September. I read, uh, sorry to interrupt, just because I want to give a little context for people, but I read the uh, the snapshots response uh, to your lawsuit, a partial response to your lawsuit. And what I found particularly outrageous was there was a phrase from their spokesperson there saying that out of an abundance of caution, they Mm -hmm. were suspending these apps, which I thought was really just unacceptable kind of response in the sense that something had already happened. Carson had lost his life. And there was a direct line from them hosting this app, making it available to their users and what happened to your son. I'm wondering if in this process, the lawsuit is ongoing, as I understand it, if you've gotten any kind of more meaningful response or is it kind of just, you know, you're in the back and forth of the legal process? There was a settlement with SNAP. And so we're continuing our lawsuit with YOLO and they made the policy changes that we wanted. But yes, like I was saying, these social media platforms all know anonymous apps are dangerous because of their past history. So it should not be a surprise. It should not be an abundance of caution. We know that they're dangerous. You know, people have compared uh, these algorithms that engage people. And we know the research that was uh, that has been published uh, by Francis Haugen and others uh, that the algorithms drive engagement, particularly through negative association, right, through uh, rage, anger, uh, shame and, and other things like that. So it begs the question, I'm wondering, you have a very specific perspective on this, not just because of an advocate, but because also of what happened in your family. Do you think there can be a safe social media platform? I think that we can do a lot to make it safer. And if I could talk a little bit about the Kids Online Safety Act, I can relate it to what happened to me. And I can also let people know what it will do for other children as well. Sure. First of all, it would require online platforms to prevent and mitigate specific harms like cyberbullying. So if you use our tragedy as an example, these platforms have known that these features lead to cyberbullying and suicide, yet they continue to release them because of like what I described before. It it increases the drama and the length of time kids are on screens because they want to see who's bullying who and what the response is. So COSA would make these platforms think twice before they introduce another product that encourages cyberbullying, like anonymous apps. And COSA would re- apply to all the apps and features that are out there right now. And then secondly, COSA would limit the promotion of harmful content to minors. So I don't advocate alone. I've been advocating with a group of parents from an organization called Fair Play for Kids. And we are, we have all lost our children to a variety of social media harms. And in many cases, the harms were fed to their children by algorithms. 
So harms like dangerous challenges, illegal drugs marketed, sold, and delivered on social media, suicide and self-harm promotion, and disordered eating tips. So I think we've all heard that this content is often several feeds away from a harmless search for a healthy recipe or depression symptoms. Well, I read in your op-ed in USA Today that the suicide rate from 2017 to 2018 of people between 10 and 24 years of age has increased 60%. Is there a through line? Is Can you connect it directly to social media use? I mean, it's, it's intuitively logical, but is there research to support that? Or how do you come to that conclusion? There is research to support it. And what we see is the iPhone really took off 2011. And if you compare usage graphs to depression rate, they're parallel lines. Mm. They're going up at the same rate. Right. That's not surprising. Yeah. Right. Speaking of algorithms, we really, and I listened to your podcast with Francis as well. Like she said, we don't know what data is collected and how it's used. And so COSA promotes transparency for the largest companies. They would be audited and have public reporting requirements to ensure that these companies are responsible for what they create. And getting back to the parents' role, parents definitely have a role to play in kids and social media. But as it stands now, it's an unfair fight. The apps are always changing. Parents cannot keep up. And so COSA would require the safest parental controls by default, which will help with privacy settings, the restriction of purchases and financial transactions, to opt out of personalized recommendations, which can be dangerous, as we talked about, and disable addictive products and features. And if parents want to lessen those controls, they can. But at least the products start out at the safest setting for default. And Kristen, and but let me ask you, because I'm here in D.C., and in one of my previous roles, I was co-chairman of a big firm here in D.C. I wasn't in the lobbying side, but I had lobbying colleagues. And it was very simple. To, in fact, some of the social media companies were clients and they just poured millions of dollars to be able to influence Congress, essentially just writing checks to members of Congress. What's your expectation that this legislation can actually make it to the president's desk? Well, it's the farthest that any legislation has gotten so far in the last like two decades as far as legislation to keep kids online. I know that the advocates that I've been working with, you know, I've just started after Carson died in 2020, but I work with policy experts and organizations that have been doing this for 25 years, and they have never seen the momentum hmm. that they are seeing now. Parents are upset. The polling data is saying parents want Congress to help. They cannot do this alone. And even though social media companies can pour a lot of money into their efforts to lobby against these bills, there is a growing movement of parents with heartbreaking stories. Mm -hmm. And you cannot put money on those stories. These are lives. And we will continue to fight for this. And I really think that we finally have hope that this will pass before the end of the year. Oh, wow. And does it have bipartisan support? In this it stage? has bipartisan support. We have 44 bipartisan co-sponsors in the Senate, mm. exactly half and half. Mm -hmm. It's rare that you see this in Congress. Yeah. 
Very much so. And we have it passed unanimously out of the Senate Commerce Committee on July 28th. And it has been endorsed by 200 organizations, including the American Psychological Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is seeing this. The pediatricians are seeing problems with mental health and social media. The teachers are, they're struggling with it as well. And it's time for change. And we feel like we have a movement here and we're going to make this happen. So if parents are listening to us, which some parents are listening to us, what would you say to them is the most effective way for them to support this movement? I would ask that each one of them goes to, actually, I can make it really easy for you. If you go to fairplayforkids.org, there's an action button and it will give you the phone numbers of your U.S. senators They will give you, it's a sample letter and reach out. Let your senators know that you care about this. You are a constituent and they need to listen to what is happening in the lives of their families and their states and ask them to co-sponsor. If they haven't co-sponsored, ask them to co-sponsor. If they have, thank them so that they know how important this is to their constituents and their families. I'm just curious about the numbers, uh, because obviously, uh, lamentably, um, we need 60 votes in the Senate now to get anything done. Do you think that those, I guess, missing 13 senators will be there by the end of the year? Well, we are taking this August recess to reach out to all the senators that have not co-sponsored. So August is key. So if your listeners could reach out to their senators now, that Mm -hmm. would be great. You know, we've seen a lot of progress with meeting and telling our stories with these senators. So I am hopeful the more co-sponsors we get, the more likely it can get to the Senate floor in September. And what's the situation in the House? We are waiting for it to get to the Senate floor, and then there will be pressure in the House to make this happen there as well. And we are always looking for representatives in the House to champion this when it gets there. Mm -hmm. And what's the administration's point of view? Are they supportive of this effort? Well, I don't know if listeners heard Senator Biden's State of the Union address two years in a row. He stated that we needed to get protections for kids online. And so he is very much in support of that. Great. Well, let me ask you a couple of final questions, Kristen. Do you think that the comparison between social media companies and tobacco companies is an accurate one? In other words, that the product ultimately is so defective and harmful and addictive Mm -hmm. that there's really not much you can do with it. Or is that just too broad a brush way of looking at this? Well, many people make that correlation. And I think there is a lot of truth in that. And you think about years ago when people just smoked and they didn't think that there was anything wrong with it. It was part of the culture. But look at what has changed when the information has come out about how addictive and how harmful it is and the warning labels. You know, it's smoking rates have gone down significantly. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we pull the curtain and really look at what's going on with this industry, 
then the same thing will happen here. And I think it's already started. There are movements. It's not just moms. It's young kids who have been the lab rats for these companies for the last 10 years that are speaking out and saying that this is not okay. Some kids are going back to flip phones. Some adults are going back to flip phones. I think we have a movement on our hands. We realize that these devices do not make us happy. They're not improving our lives. And, you know, when you look at other industries over time, our food, our medications, our airplanes are safe because there are responsible safeguards. And these companies have to follow them. And it's time that America's children are made a priority because they're being harmed every day by these products that COSA passes and that we have these same safeguards for social media and our kids. And a final question, Kristen, your family, you as a mom has gone through the worst that can really happen, right? Losing a Mm -hmm. child. And so I hope this question doesn't seem bizarre, but are you optimistic? I know the situation is intolerable. I can only imagine, but I have children as well. But are you optimistic? I am optimistic. When I listen to people who've been doing this for decades and they are just amazed at the change that they're seeing. I feel like I'm able to work and live with this grief by honoring Carson in this work. He was somebody who always wanted to make the world a better place. He doesn't have that opportunity anymore. And so I put it on myself to make sure that I'm making the world a better place through his story and through the stories of all the other parents so that we can bring about change. Well, just from the bottom of my heart, I wish you all the success in the world. Uh, I think you will be saving a lot of kids and you know, it's a very powerful thing you're doing. Thank you so much, Kristen Bry. Thank you for joining the X-Ray. Thank you so much for having me, Fernando. Thank you. I've been in Washington DC for a very long time that sometimes makes me a bit cynical about change. Fact is, many members of Congress have been totally compromised by lobbyist money. It's sad, but the truth we have to deal with. But when I hear Kristen Bride and her mission, I'm left with a bit of hope. If anybody can change this place, it's someone like Kristen. I want to thank Kristen Bride for joining me today. And I want to thank the Issue One production team, especially Rene Pineda, I've worked with some very fine producers and some really lousy ones as well. Renee is that excellent creative partner that strives for excellence every time. It's been a pleasure to work with him again. Also, thanks to Nicole Legacy and Sydney Richards. But I mostly want to thank you for joining me on this series. It was a fun ride. Until next time, whenever that will be, I'm Fernando Espuelas in Washington. For more information on this podcast, check out thexray.org and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. The X-Ray with Fernando Espuelas is an editorially independent production of Issue One.